Hola! <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Chingonas Only Club. I'm your host, Meli Ramirez, and thank you so much for coming back and listening. I am so happy to have you, and I hope that you enjoy today's episode. Without further ado, get ready, get comfortable, and let's dive in. So, I don't know if you are all into reading, but I am. I am an avid reader, (laughs) and I inhale books like it's nobody's business. And I don't really have a particular genre. I read everything from fiction to nonfiction, memoirs, whatever it is. As long as it's interesting to me, I enjoy it. So, my latest read is... A book by Erika Sanchez, and it was called I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. And if you have read it, you'll understand why it resonates so much with me. But I wanted to share some of the things that I learned from this particular book because I think it's super important. And for those of you who are listening, who are looking for your next read, and who are also struggling with some of the issues that we're going to talk about today. This is a one wonderful book. I wish, I honestly wish that in my teenage years when I struggled so much that this book was something that I came across a lot sooner. But I'm so thankful for having read it now and to the author. And also, I'd like to just say that this is not some type of paid sponsorship. Nobody knows who I am. So (laughs) this is entirely 100% an opinion-based piece, just like everything else. So anywho, this book, it was super powerful. It's a very easy read, but it addressed so many complex issues that are within Mexican culture. And I personally really enjoyed that it addressed the things about our culture that many Mexican people, particularly first-gen immigrants like myself who endure these issues in silence because no one within our culture is at a state where they acknowledge them, or at least that was how it was when I was growing up. Obviously, Erika Sanchez writing this book is a testament to the fact that it's more than anything, it's validation for someone like me and many other first-gen immigrants who experience all of these things to tell you that you weren't crazy, (laughs) that these things were really happening, and that you weren't alone. And so again, I really recommend that you pick it up. But some of the issues that she addresses in the book through the main character, whose name is Julia, are sexism or machismo in Mexican culture, which I've talked about before. Uh, Mental health stigmas that our culture has towards things like depression and anxiety. A crisis, of course, having been someone who feels like you don't really know where you're from because you were born in one country, raised in another, and expected to assimilate into a culture that is not necessarily your own, but hold traditions of the culture you were born into. That's really hard, you guys. And then it also talks about loss and grief, which ties back into the mental health aspect of it. Just to give you guys a little synopsis and a background, the main character, like I said, her name is Julia. And just like the book is titled, I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, essentially it's Julia struggling with the relationship with 
her parents, particularly her mom, and how she perceives her mom perceiving her, right? Because we do that as kids, as young adolescent kids. We think we know how our parents view us. And in many cases of first-gen immigrants, we created this almost like this storyline where it was us against them, not realizing that there's so much more behind it. When we're teenagers, we're self-centered. And so Julia is the same way in a sense that she doesn't see the world outside of herself. Like she is very observant, a very smart girl, but she doesn't really see problems outside of her issues, her discontent with the things that her mom traditionally valued. That is something that, of course, again, resonated with me because I felt the same way and I had a very, very tumultuous relationship with my own mother over these same issues. And the whole book is essentially Julia fighting with herself, it seems like at times, struggling to really be who she wants to be because it almost feels like she's going against the cultural beliefs that her mother set forth in front of her. And at the same time, she's discovering that you don't really know people. And this is her sister who passed away during the storyline. And Julia realizes that she never knew her. Her sister never knew her. She never knew her sister. And she begins to question who she actually knows in her life. But I don't want to give the whole book away. Again, pick it up. So there's a quote that was really powerful within the book. And it's where Julia is finally talking to her mom. And her mom for the first time ever, they're having a dialogue that they've never had before, which is very common. I never talked to my mother about any of the issues that I was experiencing, even if they were with her. I refused to talk to her about anything because in my mind, my mother would never understand and I would never understand her. Therefore, we would never see eye to eye. So this conversation in particular was like a huge moment. And I think every first gen person wishes for a moment like this and some of us have had it thankfully but many of us never have or never will so it's very powerful scene in the book but it i'll read the quote in spanish and then i'll do my best to just translate for my non-spanish speakers so julia julia's talking to her mom and her mom says sabes yo no fui a la escuela Tuve que salirme para trabajar y ayudar con mi familia cuando apenas tenía 13 años. Soy ignorante, hija. So her mom says, I never went to school. I had to get out of school when I was 13 years old to help my family out. I'm ignorant. So when her mom says that to her, when I was reading the book, I remember having this exact same moment with my own mother on many occasions and it would it would break me like physically mentally it would just break to hear a woman whom i viewed as incredibly strong who really was challenged by the world to survive with her children and did an amazing job at giving us everything that we needed in the best way that she could and so I never thought of my mom as ignorant, even though I knew that she never went past 
an eighth grade education. I never, I never saw it as a loss that she didn't get to continue school because she had to help out her family, but more than anything, because she had me. Because my mother never made me feel like she regretted that. She just made it sound like it is what it is and life happens and we move on. So when Julia's mom told her this, I just like just took me right back to when my mom said these things to me. And I didn't know how to take it at that time. And I, again, I think a lot of people who are in my position and having these really tough conversations with their parents, they want to look at their parents and they want to tell them, no, you're not ignorant. But I don't think that in this moment, Julia's mom meant ignorant as in uneducated, despite the fact that she wasn't educated because she couldn't go to school. And that was what she mentioned. She meant ignorant to the things that Julia wanted and Julia aspired to be. My mom never understood the sacrifices that school actually required. She never really comprehended what it took to actually pay for college. She didn't know that taking on extra classes and being involved in extracurricular activities were a part of a college application. It wasn't something that she understood. And I used to get so frustrated with her because I used to think she didn't care because her words to me were always like, you need to come right home so you can take care of your brothers. And you need to make sure that you're cooking and cleaning and feeding them. And I couldn't participate in things that I wanted to participate because she was very strict. Whenever our classes had like overnight trips to like Washington, D.C., I couldn't go to any of that because there was no way she was leaving me on an overnight trip with a bunch of kids because that was not something that she saw as beneficial. And then when I was a kid, I honestly didn't care about going to DC for the education I wanted to go with because my friends were going. So I like to, I wanted to be on my high horse and told, tell my mom things like she didn't understand or she didn't care. But the fact of the matter is that I didn't care either. I didn't care that I was going to go to the Washington Monument. It meant absolutely nothing to me at that age. I just wanted to go outside of the state of California to say that I did. But again, my mother was ignorant to my needs and the things that I wanted and why they were important. And I never bothered explaining these things to her. My mom was essentially navigating in the dark in the best way she could, just like Julia's mom in the book was making decisions that she thought were the best decisions for her daughter. But that, when your parent tells you something like that, it's kind of heartbreaking. And, and someday, I think, my kids are going to get to a point in their lives where they're going to start to navigate waters that I never have. And I'm going to look at them and I'm probably going to say the same thing. I am completely ignorant on what it is that you're trying to do. And if you don't tell me how I can help you and what I'm doing wrong, I won't be able to. And that is a fact because they're going to explore a lot further <laughs> And they're going to have broader horizons than I ever did, just like I had broader horizons than my mother did and her mother before her and so on and so forth. And so I think that this is a very powerful dialogue between Julia and her mom. And I just want to talk about it a little bit. So 
I, that's the part where you talk more about parental relationships in this book. They also talk a lot about sexism. One of Julia's biggest, most annoying things is that Mexican culture, <laughs> traditionally, you're expected to be, well, you're treated differently as a woman. So I had two brothers, and I think I've mentioned before that my brother and I were treated very differently by our parents. The expectations, the invisible boundaries that were set before us by our cultural ideas is were very different for he and I. Um, I was expected to be a good daughter and by good it meant quiet, ladylike, in some cases pious, very religious because that's our culture, very Catholic and very submissive. And we had very strict rules for women And men were essentially like granted all of their freedom. I had to ask permission for everything. My brother was just free to go wherever he wanted. Encouragement. Men receive a lot of encouragement in our culture. They're constantly told that they're handsome and that they're going to get married someday and have a beautiful family and they're going to have a great jobs and they're going to be great providers and yada. Whereas women often get a lot of criticism in our culture right? You're not women enough. You don't know how to cook enough to have a husband in the family. You're too manly. You're too feminine. You're too this. And that is just a fact. A lot of um, Latino women will actually struggle with a lot of depression. And we have a lot of self-image issues because we are criticized our entire lives by our family, our mothers primarily. You can't forget about the tias that always feel like they can say whatever they want (laughs) and they're always making you feel bad no matter what you do and that was really hard and it's something that Julia experiences in the book and I remember experiencing many of the things that were discussed I never wanted to be a girly girl Um, I enjoy being feminine but I also enjoy playing basketball I enjoyed playing softball I enjoyed running track I wanted to be fit and strong and fast and my mom did not understand any of those things and she was constantly on me for working out too much for eating too much for having bruises all over my body from where we played games that got really physical sometimes especially in basketball or sometimes I'd get nicked by the ball I was at third base or outfielder or something like that and I'd have bruises on my arms or my legs or I'd have scrapes on my knees from sliding into the bases or from falling in the gym floor and I'd get burned gym floor burns (laughs) was pretty painful but my mom absolutely hated it she said it looked so disgusting and it was so unladylike that I shouldn't be doing these things because I was going to scar myself for life and that it would look ugly. So she made me very self-conscious. And again, I know I am not alone in this. And I don't think that my mom knew the harm that these things in her words were causing because I know that she loves me very much, but she didn't know any better, right? And It's something that I think every Latina struggles with, like the criticism that we get from our families. And that's really difficult to get over. So that's something that the book addressed that I was like, oh my God, like 
I'm not crazy. Like, this is a real thing. So, yeah. There was another part in the book where Julia is talking to her mom. And her mom says to her, Tenija por si se tanto ha algo as she hands her money. She's basically saying, like, here's a little money in case you're craving something. Because Julia's leaving. That, if you're Latino or Latina, you know that your parents always give you money. Even if it's a dollar. <laughs> or $5, or whatever it is, they'll give you money whenever you're going somewhere. And they always tell you to buy yourself a paleta or buy yourself a refresco for a drink or a snack or whatever. It's a way of them saying, I love you, take care of yourself, um, have fun. And, and more often than not, the amount of money that they give you is, it's a little bit hurtful because especially if you grew up poor, or just struggling and you know that your parents work really hard and struggle to get by any amount of money that they give you is a little bit there's a lot of guilt attached to it you know that five dollars is a lot of money when someone is getting five dollars an hour that's an hour's worth of labor and back in those days that's how it was and so for your parent to just hand you money so you can buy a snack or a soda when you're out with your friends it's such a huge gesture of like the purest love that I can't even explain and the fact that it was captured and discussed in this book so nonchalantly like just kind of put into a scene it kind of broke me because if you have heard any of my earlier episodes that the day I decided to go into boot camp was because my mom left me in case I wanted something to eat from outside that day I had been deported and I hadn't seen my mom in two years and all I wanted to do was come home. And I came home. And the next morning I woke up. I was asleep on the floor of her living room because she only had a one-bedroom apartment. And we just didn't fit. So I slept on her living room floor. And I got up to the sounds of my mom getting ready. for. And before I could fully like wake up, my mom came over. And by this time I was 19. No, I'm sorry. I was 21 years old. Okay. So by this time I was 21 years old, my mom came down, she knelt on the floor besides me and she kissed me on the forehead and she just told me that she loves me, that she's going to work, that there's in the fridge and she left me $10 on the table in case I wanted to explore outside after not being home for two years and buy some fast food or something because I'd been living in Mexico at that point for that whole period of time. And um, and then she just like scurried out the door and it made me so sad. I started crying <laughs> and I didn't really fully understand why I was crying, but I felt really bad that she left that money for me. Because I knew that I had nothing. I had no money. I had no job. I had no education. My life had been completely uprooted two years earlier. And now I was back in the country. And I had no idea where to even start. All I knew is that I needed to find a job. And I needed to find a job quickly. Because there was no way in hell I was spending my mom's $10. And it sounds a little silly, but I just couldn't do it. It just made me feel so incredibly just sad and guilty. And so that was the day that I decided to join the Navy because I didn't want my mom taking care of me. And I needed a quick way to 
to make money. And at, I, at that point, I just decided that I just needed to go off into the world and I just needed to be self-sufficient. I had to put my dreams of being a writer aside because that's what it was. It was a full-on dream at that point. And I needed to find a job that paid me, right? The quickest way to catch up on the two years that I missed of my life. Um, and that's why I joined the Navy. And this is something that not many people understand about first-gen immigrants. Our parents bring us to this country to have a better life. And you grow up thinking that you will follow your dreams and that's why you're here. But later in life, you start to realize that you're not here to self-actualize. Not yet. You're here to pave the road for your children and other generations. You have to learn to navigate this world because your parents never did it before you. You have to discover opportunities and you have to take them when they come until you get to a place of stability. That's your life. And your dreams may happen in your lifetime. It is not impossible. Or they may not. And that is a reality that first-gen immigrants struggle with. I've struggled with it my whole life. My goal in joining the military was not to become a millionaire. <laughs> we don't get paid enough for that. So I never joined for the money. I joined because it was the first opportunity that presented itself to me. And it was the fastest way to a paycheck with healthcare, tuition benefits, and a pathway to citizenship, which at that point was the most important thing, a pathway to citizenship. I was only a resident and it was temporary. Um, so some people don't like to hear that, right? They want every member of the military to say that we wanted to serve our country. However, the truth is that this is actually a rare thing nowadays. A rare thing to find someone who joined out of need to serve, at least for minorities, I think. Minorities in the military rarely feel an obligation to serve because our country has betrayed us time and time again, despite our service to this country. So we serve for our own reasons. Patriotism does exist among us. I like to think that I'm loyal and I will serve like faithfully until my very last day. And patriotism definitely exists, but it's not on the surface as much as our need to survive. And people may not like to hear that, but that's the truth. And I think that in this book, it really made me think about it a lot because Julia wanted to, nothing more than to self-actualize. She wanted nothing to do with her parents and their antiquated cultural beliefs and whatever cultural norms they had thought about her. They wanted, she wanted nothing to do with that. And I think what she started to realize as she kind of went on is her older sister. She had an older sister that actually paved that road for Julia unintentionally but she paved that road and she had to be the perfect Mexican daughter and she had to at least on the surface right if you read the book you know what I'm talking about she had to she was their mother's like golden child because she did what her mom expected and she missed out on some of the things that Julia has opportunities for and she just kind of paved a road for Julia 
to not feel all of the weight of the expectations. And I don't think that Julia realized that until her sister was gone. Until her sister was gone, then at that point, it became clear and apparent to her that there was so much that she didn't know and understand about the world. And I think that happens to all of us. For me, I didn't experience what Julia did in that sense because I didn't lose a sibling and I am the oldest, not the middle child or the youngest. And so for me, I really sympathize with Julia's sister in that aspect because I think that's where, just like my first child, right? You almost put all your hopes and dreams and fears into your first child and it's not intentional and it's simply the way that it happens because you don't know better and as you grow and mature and you work on yourself you realize that it's not something that's healthy for them but as first-gen children of people who have never (laughs) figured that out it's really hard you feel really lonely and very confused I think about all of these things um the book addresses a lot of mental health stigmas Julia goes through a lot of difficulties and if you're someone who has experienced some of the things that she has and you've sought help you're screaming the whole time like girl you're depressed (laughs) go get some help go see a doctor but if you're someone who's dealt with these issues and has never gotten help you're as confused as she is reading the book because you're like, oh my God, like, why can't you just calm down? Or what is going on with you? Or why are you so pushy about this? Well, Julia doesn't know what's going on with her. And she doesn't know how to verbalize what's going on with her. Her parents don't know what's going on with her. They can't fathom that anything is wrong because in their mind, they have given her everything. um, Everything except honest conversations and open love and affection and knowing her parents. So we we fail to realize sometimes that when we think we're giving our children everything, we're giving our children everything we think that they need. And I think that it's important to remember that if you have kids, You might say to your kids, I know I've said it a hundred times and I have to stop saying it and I catch myself when I do. You have everything. Why, how can you possibly want for more? Well, it's everything by my definition. What is everything to me? And what is everything to my child? And I think immigrant parents think they give you everything. And the reference they use is what it means to them roof over your head, food on the table, clothes on your back. That's usually what it means to them. That's what it meant to my mother. That's what it meant for us growing up. That's what everything means. You have, you don't have any wants, but you forget that there's love, there's affection, there's communication, there's verbalizing your feelings. There's so much more there that is unspoken and may not feel like a necessity to survive and may not be a necessity to survive at that point. But as you become an adult, it is. You need all of those things. You look for those things and you're either going to find them 
or you're going to wander broken a lot of your life. And I think that knowing a lot of first-gen immigrants, because I grew up in Los Angeles, a lot of us grew up in the same neighborhood with almost the same stories, maybe not necessarily the same situations, but our parents were very detached in a sense of they they gave us the things that we needed and didn't think far beyond into what we wanted because they thought that what we wanted would only lead to us asking for materialistic things. Um, and also because we as children didn't know what we didn't have, right? Um, it's like, what did people say? I don't know what I don't know. It's true. And you get to become an adult. I met my husband and I always talk about him. I love him so much. I never knew that uh, someone could love you like that or that someone could treat you with such kindness and such, I don't know, regard for your well-being. And I rejected it <laughs> at the beginning because I didn't know what it was. I was like, what is this? Like, this is weird. Oh, it's called love. Unconditional. <laughs> And it seems so obvious, but it wasn't. I never, I didn't even know what that looked like. I didn't even know what a healthy relationship looked like. And then I saw him and his relationship with his mom. And I get to witness him and the relationship he has with our kids. And I'm so grateful. And I realized that I never had that. The things that I do with my sons, I have three boys. I never had that with my mom. My sons will come to me and tell me they're bored and if I want to watch a movie with them. And I'm like, of course, let's go watch something. Or if I want to go on a walk for a hot chocolate, I'm like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> Every opportunity I get to spend with them, I take it. The fact that they come to me, I would have never asked my mom. I was like, oh, gross. I don't want to hang out with her because she's mean. <laughs> my mom wasn't mean. She just didn't know how to be loving my mom's loved me with her whole heart since the day I was born. But I rejected the type of love that she gave me. I didn't understand it. And I think that at that point, that was the only kind of love that she could give me. And now that we're adults and I have children and I understand her, essentially accepted her as she was. And she realized what I didn't have. And now finally... At my 36 years of age, my mom loves me like I wish I was loved when I was a kid. And I'm so glad that I get to experience that because not many people do in their lifetime. They never get to fix that relationship with their parents. And I'm so grateful that I was able to do that with my own mother. But anyhow, you should 1000% read this book. And if not this book, find another book. <laughs> There's so many out there. I'm going to keep doing episodes like this because I really sometimes just want to talk to you guys about what I'm reading and how I, the processes in my brain because I learn so much from other people. Actually, all I learn is from other people. And this book is so incredibly eye-opening. And whether you're a first-gen immigrant or not, it just talks in general about culture and like parental relationships and it's just so good so if you are a latina first gen immigrant 
I highly recommend it. If you're not, you want to understand a little bit more about the first-gen immigrant experience, it's also a great book to read because obviously you're listening to this podcast. Obviously, you know somebody who's been through this and you might want to lean in a little bit and understand what they've been through a little bit more. This is a good way to start. So with that, thank you guys for listening. I will see you next week. And that's it. Adiós.